Hello, I'm Doom, the greatest assassin in the universe, and you're listening to the Power of Three podcast. And that jarring cacophony tells you that once again you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, the podcast that likes to discuss, discourse, digest, and its hosts. Or, as we prefer to refer to ourselves, Try saying that with your teeth hanging out. We're co-conspirators. I'm Kenny Smith, and today I'm joined by nobody at all. I don't have any co-hosts today. No co-conspirators, no nothing. It's just you and I, listener. But hey, that makes it all the more fun. No Stevie, no Dave, no John, not even Tom. Just me. And yourself, of course. So, here we go. We've got an exciting episode for you today. At least I hope we do. It is an episode all about Doomsday. And as you'll have heard at the start, we had a lovely intro there from the brilliant Suze Kempner, one of my favourite comedians. And you should follow her on Twitter, or if you're going to be a pedant, call it X. But you can follow her on there, and she is superb. Lots of very good political satire, if you're a left of centre persuasion, I think would be fair to say. So yes, we're talking about Doomsday. And for those of you who don't know, it was revealed earlier this year as a thing to run throughout the 60th anniversary year. They issued a press release which said, BBC Studios is excited to announce Doomsday, a brand new multi-platform story to celebrate Doctor Who's 60th anniversary year. Launching later in 2023, the standalone transmedia series will allow Doctor Who fans to follow Doom, the universe's greatest assassin, as she travels through all of time and space in pursuit of the Doctor to save her from the ever-approaching death. She only has 24 hours and a vortex manipulator to save herself before her fate is sealed forever. Stand-up comedian, comedy sketch artist and actor Suze Kempner will be the face and voice of Doom and a number of fan-favourite characters will feature along her journey. Russell T Davis says, Doomsday is a huge new adventure for the whole Doctor Who universe starring the brilliant and hilarious Suze Kempner as an intergalactic assassin. Her adventures will span comics, audio, a novel, video game stories and more, expanding the world of Doctor Who into brand new territories. Beware the doomsday, it's coming for us all. Suze Kempner says, To be part of the Doctor Who universe, a British institution up there with cups of tea and James Bond is surreal and amazing. I love everything about Doom and can't believe I get to travel across time and space with her. Doomsday will kick off on Doctor Who digital channels later this year, followed by products from Doctor Who magazine, Titan Comics, Penguin Random House, Eastside Games, Big Finish and BBC Audiobook Stroke Demon Records, each telling a section of Doom's story. Each partner will create their own adventures for Doomsday, each focusing on one of the 24 hours Doom has left in the clock. The standalone stories will also have an overarching narrative that will play out before the finale, which will release on Doctor Who digital channels. So there you go, now you know what it's all about. And I have to say, I've been following Doomsday, got the Doctor Who magazine comic strip, and more recently I've picked up the Big Finish release, of course, I've got the comics, and of course, I've got the release from BBC Books, Extraction Point, and we're now going to hear from its author, M.G. Harris. And this story takes place between 11 and 3 for Doom, so we will find out more about it in a minute when we speak to the author. But what does the back cover blurb, or in fact it's actually not quite back cover, it's the inside, the hardcover text. It's the Doctor's Universe, 
24 hours to find them. 24 hours to escape death. The finest time-travelling assassin in the cosmos is running scared. Doom's own death is coming for her in a matter of hours. And the only person in the universe who might just be able to save her is the Doctor. So long as it's the right Doctor. But as Doom searches for aid, the hits keep coming in. Kill a Krabby Kral and his replica world. Assassinate a ghost in Satellite 5. Eliminate a living asteroid. Doom finds her talents and her patience stretched to breaking point. But these apparently random jobs are linked in a way Doom could never imagine. And when not one but two different doctors get involved, on the trail of an old enemy, the ensuing fireworks might just end the lives of billions. Can Doom solve the mystery before her allotted hours are up? It's not only a planet she must save from destruction, but herself. Dot, dot, dot. Now, I do recommend this book. It is written at an absolutely frenetic pace. It feels like a James Bond film pre-credit sequence, and that's four times over. So if you're buying this one, I would hugely recommend listening to the Tomorrow Never Dies soundtrack or the World Is Not Enough soundtrack from David Arnold as you read it. But, but now let's let our guest introduce herself. Hi, I'm M.G. Harris. Maria Guadalupe is my full name um, and it's a Mexican name. So I'm from Mexico originally. I started writing fan fiction when I was a kid and then I uh, became a published author around 2008. Fantastic. Well, welcome to The Power of Three. It's always nice to have a first visit. And um, it's fair to say you're a bit of a, a science fiction fan, as we've just been discussing before we started recording. That's right, yeah. Um, Doctor Who was my first love. And when I was eight years old, um, I actually had a letter published in the Daily Express about Doctor Who. Now, it wasn't, you know, out of the blue, a friend of my my, my best friend's mom was the TV critic for Doctor Who, and when Mary Whitehouse was having her sort of Doctor Who campaign, Doctor Who's too scary for children thing, I was very indignant about this, and she said, I won't do her Irish accent because she had a wonderful Irish accent, but she said, oh, you seem very exercised about this. Would you like to write a letter about it? And I said, I will write a letter. So I wrote a letter to Mrs., you know, about Mrs. Mary Whitehouse, said the other day that Doctor Who's too scary for children, and I disagree completely. And she managed to get it published. So. That was my first published writing. And yeah, I, 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 I was obsessed with Doctor Who when I was a little kid. And then Manchester United. And then when Blake Seven came out, I became even more obsessed with Blake Seven. That kind of tapped into a hormonal aspect as well, because I was obsessed with Avon. So, you know, that had the advantage over Doctor Who. Yeah. Had and a romantic then... interest for me. <laughs> of course, you mentioned Manchester United, of course. The club that stole Sir Alex Ferguson from my club. So um, thanks for Aberdeen. making us rubbish for the best part of, uh, well, in fact, ever since 1986, really. I know, and they, they, Aberdeen was starting to do really well, I remember. Didn't you win the European Cup Winners' Cup or something? Yeah, 1983. Yeah. And then we won the Super Cup, yeah. so we were officially the best we won the team in the Super Cup, yeah. No, I remember, oh, I remember thanks, kind thanks. of thinking, that's okay. And we had a really good player. It was Martin Buchan from Aberdeen that's as right. well, I think. Yep. Yeah. I remember sort of looking at all that going, yeah, it's good pedigree. You know, Martin Buchan could yeah. be all right. But oh, then Martin. for the first three three seasons, we didn't really win anything. So I remember my the same friend I'm telling you about writing to me and saying that, you know, because he'd moved to Ireland by now and just saying that, you know, he was almost going to give up on Manchester United because Ferguson was such a loser. <laughs> that was before things took off. Yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, it was a good job that uh, won that uh, replay with the Mark Robbins goal. But there we go. See, I know these things, football fan. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> so, good memory. 
Yeah. So we're chatting today about Doomsday Extraction Point. So I mean, how did the whole commission for this come about? Well, uh, there was an anthology planned called the WOW Anthology that was going to be um, based, sort of linked in with the Science Museum or something. And I had been commissioned to write a 3,000 word story for that. So I'd written a story that was a historical where it was with 13 and um, yes. And then just the editor, Steve Cole, wrote to me and said, good news and bad news. The good news is you're going to get paid. The bad news is they've cancelled the anthology. So it's not going to get published now. Maybe one day we'll publish your story, but you know, anyway. But he said, but would you like to do something with us in the future? And I said, sure, absolutely, that'd be great. So then he contacted me about this project, but he wouldn't say anything about it. Just like, there's a super secret project. Would you like to be involved? And I was like, sure, I would love to write a Doctor Who book. So, and then when they told me the whole project, you know, it was all kind of very carefully explained. You know, we got sort of samples of how Doom talked and what would not, yeah, we would kind of agreed the plot. So he sent me a draft of the plot. I made some suggestions. They changed some things. Then we had another draft. We, we did that until we kind of had a plot we agreed on. And so by the time I went into writing, you know, they'd kind of, they'd seen samples of what I was going to do and they were happy. The difficult thing was that no gender was agreed. So I had to kind of write this kind of gender neutral character until Suze Kempner was cast. And then I kind of then watched some of her stuff. Then they rewrote the the, you know, the sample scenes to sort of, you know, get more a match with some of the characters that Suze had done. So for example, you know, before she hadn't really said, all right, mate, now, now she was calling people mate a lot and she was a woman. Um, so I went back and kind of tweaked everything. You changed all the pronouns. I didn't need to change the attitude very much because I'd made them quite gender neutral. And that was it really, you know, they were happy with what I did, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> Of course, you'd had uh, a fair bit of experience writing before this with the Joshua Files, and of course you'd done uh, Blake Seven as well. Cold That's Revolution. right, I did Jake Blake Seven novella. Yeah, no, I think that science fiction is where I'm at home, but sort of probably not like the full world building where you have to think of a whole new society. That seems like an awful lot of work. So I, I prefer things that are set in kind of um, contemporary society but with like science fiction twists and the first doctor that i was introduced to was actually john pertwee and it was the whole kind of unit stories which were mostly set on earth so i think when i started seeing him going kind of to new planets and things i was like oh this is interesting because i kind of thought it was set on earth when i first started watching so that's probably why it's so appealed to me because it was a very recognizable setting of course tell us a wee bit about the joshua files which of course tap into your South American heritage. That's right, yes. Yeah, but Joshua Files was kind of like, I'd always wanted to write a story set in something to do with the, the Maya culture, um, the Maya civilization of Mexico. I'd visited the ruins of the ancient Maya when I was about 15 for the first time, and I was really, really blown away because I went to a really spectacular site where there's so the one place where you can actually go into a pyramid. So you walk down this sort of internal staircase, and then there's a sarcophagus with this cover, and there used to be like the a jade mask and all sorts of stuff. It's now in the museum and then it got stolen from the museum. It's very famous robbery. But that was like an incredible experience when I was 15 and I thought, wow, if I could write something that was set in, you know, that had something to do with this civilization. And then when I saw Stargate, I thought, oh, you know, the movie. I thought, oh yeah, it's kind of stolen my idea of like ancient technology. So it took me a while before I could kind of think of a, a, a way to make that a bit more original and distinctive. And that happened when I, yeah, 
when I broke my leg and I had some time to think. <laughs> it's nothing like breaking your leg to slow things down. Yeah, well, they do say break a leg to wish you good luck. So in some ways, I suppose it did work out. <laughs> um, yeah, it did, yeah. <laughs> a very painful way to become a writer, but yeah. So with Extraction Point, it's covering four hours in Doom's life. And there's yeah. familiar characters and settings in there. We've got the second Doctor, we've got the ninth Doctor, we've got Slavine, and we've got Satellite 5. So, and of course, Kral as well. So that's quite yeah. a bit of a shopping list. Were you given all of those or did you... Yes, all of it. Wow. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of kind of back and forth about... There was going to be, you know, there may, might, might have been one other Doctor, I think. Um, which is the other Doctor that's going to be in it? Oh, the War Doctor. Oh, the Fugitive, no. The War or the Fugitive Doctor were considered as well, but um, in the end they just did, went with the, the, the Doctors that we have, which is two and nine. And yeah, there was a lot of back and forth about whether they were going to have the Slovene or not. I'm kind of glad that they did, but when I saw the cover, I was like, oh, okay, I can, I've constructed it like a sort of whodunit. So you weren't, it wasn't It wasn't obvious. It's, if you read it, it's not obvious. Spoiler, massive spoiler. If you read it, it's written so that you don't know who's the big bad. It's, and they've kind of given it away a little bit. I think it pro- they've probably been used as a as a selling point as something else to entice people in. Yeah. They are a really cool baddie, though, aren't they? They're a really good mixture of kind of violent and psychotic, but also kind of very family obsessed. Yep. I love that they're a crime, literally a crime family. Yeah, it must have been a gas rating for them. Haha, <laughs> see what I did. Ah, yeah, see what you did there, yeah. It was. It is great because, you know, because they're shapeshifters. So, you know, they lend themselves to mystery. Who is it? Oh, no, it's the Selena. Oh, no, it's the Selena again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you find writing for these two doctors? Because traditionally, back in the 90s and early 2000s, when Virgin Books and BBC Books were doing their second doctor stories, a lot of people said they found it really hard to get a grip on Trouton's doctor because so much of what he does is in the face and the eyes and the hands. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I just, I watched, um, I watched one of those new, like, uh, rescued ones that are all done, like, with animation. Power of the Daleks. I watched that. I loved it. I, thought, I was like, this is great. This is, like, fantastic. I'm, I'm going to watch some more of these because I hadn't seen that one. I think what the, 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 uh, the second Doctor story that's probably my favourite of the ones I've seen was uh, The War Games. But I thought I won't watch that again. I'll, I'll watch a different one. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just found find I find his diction and everything because he's actually quite unique in how he talks, compared especially compared to the Ninth Doctor. So actually, the contrast between the two is, you know, quite easy to portray. The Ninth Doctor is a kind of. I, know, I watched a couple of stories of his again just to get the voice, just to get the kind of the rhythm. But he's a Mancunian. Well, his accent is Mancunian, so that's fun. I was I grew up in Manchester, that found that very easy to write. And he's always like, he likes to dig, you know, he's always kind of teasing his his companions. He like plays, plays tricks on them and stuff. He's almost mean, actually, which is in a good way. But, you know, he will have like a, a, a joke at them. Whereas the second Doctor is very respectful and demands that everybody's super respectful and, you know, has a kind of courteousness. And I found that quite easy to sort of convey, I think. I didn't have to... I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you think it works because I just described him once. And then I just pretty much was doing it all with dialogue. I think it definitely does. And I think you can tell who's who when you pick up and you have a look and it says the doctor and just from reading the dialogue, you can tell definitely which one's which. And it's something that I thought 
and obviously it comes naturally to you is that the Ninth Doctor's rhythms very much Mancunian, and and that's something that I know that when some other writers have, lit- have written for Paul McGann on audio, there's some, when particularly Scouse writers, they've automatically got those speech rhythms as well, and yeah. I think it definitely helps, sort of unintentionally informs the writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So no, how, I, I really like writing them. So, how difficult was it to write? Was it one that took quite a while, or did you have quite a, a tight window? I mean, I tend to write quite fast compared to some of the writers I know. I can pretty much write like a thousand words, 1500 words a day quite easily. So I think I've structured it so that the chapters were all about a thousand and 1100 words each or something. I don't know. I kind of calculated it because it was in four sections and I, you know, you need at least a thousand words for a chapter. So, you know, it came quite quickly because remember I planned it all beforehand, like literally chapter by chapter. I had a chapter plan. I knew exactly what was going to happen in every chapter. It's but harder having... to create original characters, to be honest. When, it's, when, when you're writing The Doctor, it's much easier than when you're writing original characters. So I would not count the Slitheens as original characters either, because I just kind of borrowed one of Steve's characters, Steve Cole. He'd written a a book, a, a novel that had a, a you know, a, a, a new Slitheen character. So I kind of said, can I use that character? Because no reason to invent a new Slitheen character. There are plenty of them. Yeah. And they're all quite sort of bitchy, aren't they? This lead. <laughs> I do like that. Snarky. Personality. I mean, I think that also the fact you've got the four hours, it gives you that classic four episode structure as well. Sort of building yeah. up to, to high points to effectively what are cliffhangers and then, okay, here yeah. we go. Oh, and now another hour's ticked by. Yeah. That's why I didn't want to write it. That's why I wanted to write it as a kind of continuous whodunit, because I thought if you get to the end and it's like, oh, they did it, oh, okay, mm, right, fine. It would be much more too episodic. I wanted it to read like a novel so that, you know, you wouldn't really find out what was going on till the end. So Doom doesn't really know what's going on until the end, until yeah. the final, and then it all kind of slots together. And she's like, oh, no, no, you don't did, say. Yeah, I mean, how did you find having, obviously, the, it is a Doctor Who book, although it does say Doomsday, obviously, in the, the bigger logo rather than the Doctor Who logo. So having Doom as your main character and the Doctor almost feature as guest character, or the Doctors featuring as yeah. guest characters, that must have been quite interesting to do. And obviously that's the, the way that traditionally these things have been oh, written yeah. with the Doctor. So when I, was, when I was uh, doing Blake 7 fan fiction, this was back when I was in my 20s, I had a partner who, you know, we reproduced this uh, website called The Aquatar Files, which is actually the first Blake 7 online fan fiction. And she was a huge Doctor Who fan. And I would used to say to her, I, I can't write for Doctor Who. And she said, why? I said, because the Doctor is so difficult to understand because he's an alien. You can't really understand him. And I couldn't write from his point of view. And she looked at me like I was mad. And she said, you never write from the Doctor's point of view. You always write from the companion's point of view. And I was like, oh, do you? It's interesting. Maybe I could write a Doctor Who book if they're written from the companion's point of view, because I could I could not dare to presume what the Doctor is thinking. Right? I think if I did, only a tiny handful of people would necessarily agree with me. Right? It's got to be from the companion's point of view. So I felt okay. That's it. I'm going to write this as as though from the point of view of a Doctor Who companion. Do you see what I mean? So. And also because we don't know much about Doom. I mean, I didn't know very much about Doom. And I did sort of say, can I have the Doctor sit down with Doom for like a while in a coffee shop? And they were like, no, because she's always on the go. She's always, she's being chased, you know, and she's going to die. And if she stops for more than an hour, then she's going to get caught up to. And I said, well, 
but you know i just want to have a like a little mo moment where she can have a conversation that's not under complete pressure so i managed to you know steve said okay well let's let's do a trick where the time can be you know can be slowed down by the the sonic screwdriver but he, we can only do that once so because she can't ever sit down you know she can't ever stop she's always got to be trying to complete her mission you can't really get to know her too well um so in that sense you know she is it's like a side character you're you know she's like you're writing from the point of view of a side character the interesting character is the doctor in this case the interesting thing is the mystery i think it'd be nice to bring back bring bring her into another you know into another adventure one day where you can get to know her more but there is a tension obviously because you know she's an assassin and the doctor doesn't usually like killers he doesn't really respect them even though he's actually inadvertently killed a lot of people not necessarily directly but you know i mean there are tricks in in fiction like and you learn this and if you write for children the child the young character can never kill anybody but sometimes bad guys need to be disposed of so you have to write it so that they you know just oh dear they fell over the cliff <laughs> <laughs> then it's kind of the same with the doctor the doctor can't directly kill anybody so it's, i thought this is a really good person for the doctor to team up with in some cases because they are an assassin and they will kill people you mentioned there just uh, the fact that you're up against the clock with this how did you find keeping up that pace throughout the novel because that's something it really does come across it feels very kinetic to me that is how i write i mean that's if you write for you know middle grade action adventure that is what publishers demand really so luckily that's you know that's something i'm quite happy to write with i did write a teenage series that was much more kind of thinky and discussy and everything i do remember seeing some reviews from teenagers going this is so slow it's so slow just sitting around talking and I thought yep and some people like it and uh so action adventure just tends to lend itself to that yeah I don't know I mean I structured it that way and so it was going to come out that way I just structured a lot of action yeah definitely works and just you mentioned a couple of minutes ago there about um getting inside an alien's mind how did you find capturing the crowls and print for the first time in oh I think since actually yeah but the thing is the crowl the, the crawler only appear very briefly the, you only see them when they're, they're 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 the people who commissioned it so they're the people who designed it right okay so stalgon isn't is not a crawl stalgon is a whatever you know if he, he's from he's he's from the planet that the mandras are from he commissioned it so he's at the end just like shouting at them you know you've made terrible mistakes this isn't what i asked for whatever anyway so i watched the episode again the android invasion that that they're actually quite easy to capture i think because again they're quite sort of snooty and you know very superior yeah because that's the thing that i thought we absolutely nailed was just like the the shoutiness of them just the anger yeah. just like angry grumpy rhinos perhaps but not they're very angry and grumpy yeah yeah <laughs> so the book's out good reviews how do you look back on it now that it's all done and dusted and physical copies are here in our hands no, I love. It. I think they've, I love the cover. I love the quality of the, you know, the paper and everything. It's really nice. It was a great process, and I really liked working with Steve Cole because he's a writer as well. So you know, like he's a really good editor. It's good to have an editor who, who is a, themselves a writer because then if you've got like plot issues, like how are we going to solve this, he, he actually comes up with really good suggestions. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. So fingers crossed that uh, Mr. Cole might be picking up the phone or sending an email again sometime soon. 
now I've told him I'd love to do that. And also, you know, he's really an expert on Doctor Who law in a way that even I'm not, I mean, I'm not. If I have a bit of lack of knowledge, I'll just go and look it up in the, you know, the uh, TARDIS Wikipedia, whatever it's called. Um, but he just knows this stuff. He'll be like, oh, no, they can't do that because of this. And, oh, you know, this could happen here because of that. So he's great. It's a really good, it was a great team effort in some ways. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. And Thank having you, Kenny. It was really nice to meet you. And you. Thank you. And thank you so much for that. Really enjoyed that chat and definitely recommend a novel available now from all good bookshops. And hopefully there may even be in the bad ones as well, but hey, any bookshop's got to be a good one, hasn't it? So next we're going to be chatting about the BBC Audio 4 from Doomsday, which takes place immediately after Extraction Point. So here we go. Here's what the cover blurb has to tell us. Hired assassin Doom is on a mission to save her own life before death catches up with her. If she can find the Doctor, they might be able to help her. But where in time and space are they? These four missions, the Steel Cascade, the Martian Dilemma, an Oud Halloween and Dark Space, take Doom to a Mediterranean cruise ship in 1966, the planet Mars in the distant past, San Francisco in 1999, and finally a desolate planet in a dying solar system. Along the way, she meets former TARDIS travellers Ian and Barbara, the mighty Ice Warriors, and Brian Nude. But when a mysterious stranger with silver hair and sunglasses turns up. Will he be Doom's salvation? Written by Darren Jones and read by Suze Kempner, Jay Griffiths and Silas Carson, these four original stories form part of the multi-platform Doomsday Adventure to celebrate Doctor Who's 60th anniversary. So why don't we hear from the man who commissioned this adventure? And we'll let him introduce himself. Hello, Kenny. Yes, this is Michael Stevens. Uh, I'm the audio commissioner for BBC Audiobooks and um, I look after the Doctor Who releases. I suppose in some ways this must be great fun for you because you get to pretty much pick and choose what we're going to hear. You're based on books and in some cases the like this original audios in four from Doomsday. It, it, yes, it, it is a lot of fun. Eternally interesting, challenging and inspiring. You know, it is a little bit like playing in a a sandpit, but uh, playing with care. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you don't want to break any of the toys. That's the most important part. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have a chat about Four from Doomsday, which of course has just been released as part of the ongoing Doomsday adventure. So how did this come about? Well, uh, you know, as you probably know, it's a, a cross-media initiative which follows on from Time Lord Victorious a couple of years ago and it's driven by and and made by BBC Studios and the idea is to provide a, a, a platform on which many different Doctor Who licensees can hang some product it's a, it's an overarching story uh, which uh, has has many sort of hooks on which we can all hang stories and therefore it's designed for books audio uh, graphic novels audiovisual presentations from bbc studios and 
anything else really so i think for doomsday the key players are bbc books bbc audiobooks big finish titan comic comics and uh, as i say the the videos and the stories that bbc studios themselves have been putting out there so it starts off with the outline which we were all presented with and um i and, and other licensees went along to um a meeting to talk about what doomsday would consist of and then the challenge is is coming up with a story with the that suits it. So with Time Lord Victoria, Starren Jones had, had very successfully written our entry, The Minds of Magnox. And um, I knew therefore that Darren was really good at taking um, a sort of pitch document and, and running with it. And, you know, th I think the biggest challenge with something like this is that no one is going first so there's no lead for us to follow no example for us to follow in terms of the actual written stories so it's very much taking um a leap in the dark when it comes to first coming up with your storyline and then actually writing the script you know because well this lead character of doom was presented to everybody but uh, she hadn't actually been realized in any form at all therefore darren and all the other writers they have to give it their best shot at uh, taking all the information they've been given and then turning that into a a walking talking uh, adventure having character yeah i think that what darren achieved with minds of magnox was fantastic such a great story really entertaining and he must have been just straight away the obvious candidate to do for this for this adventure yes he was he was and darren's written you know many audio adventures for us as you know and um yeah he's 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 great he's because you have to bring originality and imagination to it as well as uh, you know, uh, very confident world building, and and of course with this one he's he's given us four adventures because the 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 one of the key things about the Doomsday arc is that Doom has twenty four hours to live, and therefore twenty four adventures to have within the whole arc and there weren't 24 different bits of product being made so it, it's a case of um telling several of her hour-long adventures within our um our audio release therefore doom's four hours they actually take place in real time for us it, within four half hours <laughs> so it's you sort of get an, a slightly abridged hour for each adventure but they're four distinct adventures and the other thing that we were all encouraged to do you know because it's the 60th anniversary was to bring in elements from across doctor who's 
fictional history, whether that the characters, either friendly or unfriendly, or planets, or any other elements, really, from the show's past. So that was the other sort of thing on the on the on the recipe list that we we asked Darren to to do. And there's a great mix in there. You're with Ian and Barbara in, in the first adventure. Then we've got Ice Warriors in the second. An old favourite, Brian the Ood in the third. And then we've got the Twelfth Doctor in the final part. So it's a good a good mix of all year, eras, really. Yes, it is. It is. And I think that's one of the really fun things about the whole Doomsday arc is that um, you never know who you're, who's going to turn up and who you're going to meet. And I was really pleased to have Ian and Barbara in the first story because last year Paul Mars wrote an audio original for our Beyond the Doctor mini-series and it was called London 1965 and it features Ian and Barbara and it tells the story of what happens to them when they are returned to Earth at the end of the chase and how they sort of readjust to life. So in some ways, I like to think that the first story of Four from Doomsday is uh, is the sequel to that, really. And we, we actually find them um, on a cruise, which is which is nice, you know, they're taking a little bit of time out. So yes, well, as you say, we go from Ian and Barbara right the way through to the 12th Doctor. So it does sort of span nearly 60 years. It's a great mix. I mean, I've I've been listening to them over the past few days and thoroughly enjoying them. I think that Darren just gets all the the different eras and just the different tones and things that you need. So I think that you've got a great mix. And it must have been a real joy for you when it came through and you got to read these for the first time, being the first person other than Darren to see them. And then here we go. Absolutely, yes. John Ainsworth, uh, who works with me as project editor on the audio originals he was also involved and uh, yes it, it, it was really exciting because you you know with anything you commission a writer and then you're slightly well you're just you're just ho- hoping that what comes through is going to be um, the sort of thing you're hoping for and of course it really was there was very little i think we had to we had to adjust from from darren's original pitch and from his original script and also james page the doctor who brand manager he's very much been at the heart of doomsday so um he also was keen to see the scripts and and give feedback on them yeah james is the person really who can coordinate between all of the different entries in in the Doomsday canon and just make sure that there are no continuity clashes. And indeed, he was able to suggest a few ways in which we could plug into other other people's takes on Doom. You know, sometimes just small details such as the things that she is wearing all her bits of equipment, her bits of kit, you know. And some great readers as well. They must have been, obviously, Sue's would be an obvious choice as at least one of them. Yes, yes, we were really keen for Sue's to read 
some of the stories and uh, I think she's she's done a a terrific job she's so characterful and um, you know got quite a a special sort of uh, sparkiness and and obviously a lovely comedic quality to her take on do so that's nice that she um bookends the readings and then silas carson reading uh, an ood halloween um silas has also recently read planet of the ood the, the bbc books for us and uh, so he was able to do this as well and uh yeah he's got a terrific reading voice quite apart from the fact that that he does voice the ood in the tv series he's a he's a lovely reader and the same with jay griffiths also recently read an audio original for us called the cuckoo and you know it's always nice to be able to bring new readers to the range and I particularly look for people who have some connection with Doctor Who, if possible. And Jay, as you know, has um, appeared in um, some recent TV episodes. So I thought, you know, we we would ask if she would like to to read these. And uh, I think she's done a really lovely job on on both um, the story in from doomsday and in the cuckoo which people will be able to hear later this year brilliant well michael it's been a real joy thank you for joining us to chat about four from doomsday you're welcome nice to talk to you thank you so much for that absolute joy chatting so next we're going to hear from the writer darren jones oh hi i'm darren jones i'm the author of four from doomsday which is part of the Doomsday multimedia project. First things first, the title. How quickly did that come to you? Because it made me laugh. That was actually Michael's title, that suggestion. Michael Stevens. He, I think he, uh, we, we had a couple that we thought maybe, maybe possibly it could be called The Steel Cascade and other stories. I think there was another potential one, but he said, oh, we could do four, four from Doomsday. I went, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite fun. I think in retrospect, though, I'm thinking now, like, oh, but when you search for it online, it's hard to find. Because obviously Doomsday comes up and four to Doomsday comes up. So it all gets a bit lost. But it's, you know, it's a nice little joke, any joke. Yep. So it's, it's a, basically it's a mixture of our bank and Cybermen and Daleks having a big fight when you go online for it. <laughs> so it must have been quite exciting for you to be involved with another Doctor Who multi-platform event having been involved previously in Time Lord Victorious. It's what is always exciting to be involved in any sort of Doctor Who thing. Um, I've done a few over the years now for Michael and uh, yeah, the, the Time Lord Victorious was an interesting one because it was this big multi-threaded story. And yeah, I mean, when this one came up, I was like, you know, they, they said they were going to do another one. I went to a meeting and it would be, I think one of the things with Time Lord Victorious, it was very complicated. And there were lots of different strands. I think some people got a bit lost with it. And with Doomsday, they sort of realized maybe that's been a little bit of a problem. So they decided to do a much more linear multimedia project. So it was definitely going to be sort of one story that every story is going to be standalone effectively. But as it was for the 60th, again, it was, you, know, you couldn't resist really. It's sort of how can you not want to be involved in a, a 60th anniversary Doctor Who project? 
And I like the idea of this new character that we've not met before, who was kind of isn't the Doctor, but is sort of taking that that role within the the overall story. So that was fun. Yeah, I suppose the fact that you've got four stories to fit into the one release as well, so that gave you a bit of freedom. Yeah. So we could tell different stories about different things. So you can get in some ice warriors there, which of course you'd yeah. written for before, and uh, yeah. with the Vultures. Oh, totally yeah. agree. I love ice warriors. They I love cool. them. I've always loved. Them. I, I love because because they are a proper society and, and a proper race of aliens who obviously have their own culture, and I think that's why they've always been more fascinating than Cybermen or Daleks in many ways because they're sort of classic monsters as such. They're sort of nasty things coming to get you. Where the ice warriors, you know, even the classic show, they were they were baddies, they were goodies, they were sort of in between. So it was, it was always nice to to try yeah. and, and work for them. Yep, that's uh, the Martian dilemma. Then Steel Cascade, yeah. of course, you go right back to the very beginning with Ian and Barbara in there, which that must have been so much fun yeah. to do. It was, yeah, because Ian, but I've never written, for, I've not written for that era really ever. And uh, and I recently watched the, obviously the season two box set when that came out. And just, you know, you just fall in love with them, don't you? Because they, they are a great pair together. And yeah, so I, I thought, well, yeah, why not? Let's go, let's go back to the 60s and see what, what Ian and Barrow are up to after you know, a year after they've left the Doctor. What would they be doing? Would they be back at, would they really be back at school teaching? Would you really be able to get back to your, your day job like that after you've spent sort of, I don't know how long, 18 months wandering time and space? And I had this idea that they'd, they'd, they'd have a wanderlust and uh, would want to actually, actually be able to, want to go travelling, even though it was on Earth. They'd want to go and see everything they could. Because yeah, they're both one's, a his, one's into history, one's into science. It's sort of a no-brainer, isn't it? That you'd want to travel the world and find out about different cultures and different things. Yeah. So that was the idea with, with that. Yeah, with a nude Halloween again, revisiting our old friend mm. Brian Nude, who I absolutely loved a bit. I think he's a brilliant. I character. love Brian. That that was that was the thing with Time of the Victorious because Minds of Magnox was it was kind of it was meant to be a standalone. In the end, I did sort of thread in a bit of the, the overall arc into it, but. But it was Brian, really. That it was always conceived to be a story about Brian. Brian had to be major part of it. So that was great fun to explore and sort of reveal a bit of his backstory. So when this came around, it was like, yes, I'm, I'm doing Brian again because I may not get another chance. Uh, and he got killed off in Time Fracture, possibly. So I thought, well, no, let's let's bring him back and see what what he's been up to since Time Lord Victorious. In my head, he he's, he came back from the dark time, and after that 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 story, so he's it's post the Brian in Ood Halloween is post Time Lord Victorious in my head. But yeah, he's he's a great character. I love the Ood because you they're kind of scary and weird, but then they start this sort of very polite way of speaking to you, and then they kill you anyway. So it's like <laughs> these, this this roller coaster of emotions with the Ood. So that's what I loved about him. Yeah, I also like the it's setting, great. the fact that San Francisco in 1999, yes. but not necessarily the San Francisco 1999 yes. that you're going to expect. <laughs> I know, that was a bit cheeky, but it just it felt fun. It was mainly because I was looking at, because um, obviously San Francisco they had, they used to have a big Halloween parade, so I think they sort of, if I remember correctly, they kind of died off a bit. But I think in the 90s, that was 80s, 90s, that's when they were really big. Um, so I wanted to set it around that time. And wrong foot a few listeners who are no yes. doubt expecting a TV movie yes. connection. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the only connection is it's San Francisco in 1999. Yep. 
There's nothing else there, honest folks, in case no. they're listening. <laughs> and then, of course, you get to conclude it all with Dark Space and mm-hmm. getting in yeah. Peter Capaldi's fantastic 12th Doctor as well. Yeah, well, when I was thinking of the four stories, I, I kind of wanted to take out an element of you know the past into everything. And I thought, well, one of them has got to have a doctorate at some point of some kind. And I kind of wanted the 12th Doctor because I thought he was kind of, oh no, that might be a bit of a spoiler actually, so I won't actually tell you why. But I liked, I liked the, I'd written um, Rhythm of Destruction, which is a 12th Doctor story and really enjoyed writing for that character. I like that sort of, the dryness to him and the humour. Um, so, yeah, I chose, there were, there were several options, but I, want, I, I stuck to my gun and said, no, I want to use the 12th Doctor. And that story ended up being quite, it's quite dark in a way, I think, it's sort of, I mean, with the four stories, I tried to, although we, the brief was that each one had to be standalone, because I was doing four, or doing four hours, which I decided to do as four stories, I kind of had little bits of story arc in there, and I wanted there to be a little hint of a journey for Doom, sort of going from being an assassin to maybe questioning what she's doing, and that one was where I thought, yeah, let's, let's sort of just almost do it as a two-hander for most of it and just see where it goes. And I sort of came up with this idea of this alien race who can see their own futures and therefore actually normally they're quite peaceful because they know how things can go badly wrong. Um, but then you get this one who's just obsessed because they think they're they're, they're destined to be the ruler of the galaxy and um, the Doctor is always stopping them. So that's their sort of revenge story really. Yeah, and then of course when you get through the finished release got Suze Kempner, Doom herself, reading two of them. Mm. You've got Jay Griffiths and you've got Silas Carson as well. And what a lovely mix of beautiful voices in there. Brilliant. And Suze, I'm really pleased because Suze did really, yeah, she's brilliant. And you really get the sense of, because I think this is the first time, apart from the trailers, first time you get the sense of how she's playing it. I think it really comes across well. And uh, the character really comes across with her. And she's a great reader as well. And all the other voices she does. She does Ian and Barbara and all the other voices. Brilliant. And Silas Carson obviously is the Ude, so that was a no-brainer, and he's he is Brian the Ude. The one I was I was worried about the Martian dilemma because I thought, oh god, there's lots of ice warrior dialogue and they're quite slow and hissy. But Jay Griffith, I thought she was fantastic. She just knocked it out of the park and managed to to convey it, you know, all the, the ice warrior-ness of the ice warriors really well so i was really pleased yeah i mean i love it i think your love of dice warriors comes across say having a girl with cry the vultress when you wrote that for big finish that was just beautiful script really enjoyed that and i I felt that your your love of the martian culture was in there i could feel sort of a little your little subtle mentions back to back to it without being blatant and just yeah it definitely came across great yeah no it was good it's great. I mean, there was a challenge because although it was a double release, so it was 20,000 words, I kind of chose to split it into four or 5,000 word stories, which is half the length of what I'd normally do for a story for the audios. So it was um, a challenge to try and do something which was exciting and had a bit of scale in that short space of time. And I think mostly it kind of works. Well, I think it did. I think it's a great It's always a compromise. It's always a compromise with these things, but you, know, you have to try and just try and get it get it, get it across in, the, in as short, in as pithy way as you can. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the thing that writing short stories is an art form in itself. And to be able to do something that's self-contained, but also part of a bigger arc at the same time, it's not easy. So it's uh, the extra challenge yeah. on top of everything else that goes with it. Yeah, it is a challenge. And like I say, these were standalone, so it wasn't so much of a, a problem worrying about what was gone before or what was going to come after. There was a couple of things I, you know, I set up, which I think did carry on. Or had to let Big Finish know what was happening in the last story so that they knew what to do or how what where Doom was. But yeah, I think the, the main challenge was to to write four different stories in the same amount of time that I probably would have written one story of half the length of the entire release. So that was a that was no fun. It was fun, yeah. It was good fun. Yeah, because I think that you know getting the character of Doom was was key to it. And I think the fact that mm. I think that when you're just you're going to get Sue's just with that sense of the fact that it's, it's, everything's almost done with with an arch raised eyebrow and sort of her cynical take on the yeah. world, and there's, there's there seems yes. to be quite a bit of Sue's Kempner in there, but also there's just yeah. the characters just not world weary, but just sort of frustrated almost with the way that not just the world but the universe is, and she's just sort of ah oh, here we go again. Yeah, so I think well, I think this is. Towards the end of the day, isn't it? So of her of her doomsday. So it's um, she's getting a bit tired by this point, I think, and uh, you know, she hasn't got much time left to sort out her problem. Um, but yeah, the character is always meant to be sort of quite a charming character with a quite a, a unique sort of sense of humour, sort of, sort of a bit of a black sense of humour, I think. And as I think Alan Bree said, you know, she's an assassin, but she's the, the, the last person you would think of as being an assassin. Yeah, and I think that comes across. Yeah, it's Brian you... really, because Brian the Ewood is the same thing, isn't he? He's like you don't expect a Brian the Ewood to be an assassin, because well, what the Ewood were or originally were when they first appeared, sort of this serv- this race of servants, basically. So, how did you feel when you got the finished release through and were able to hear it all come together? Yes, it's always you always worry a bit actually, <laughs> but I always love them. You know, they're always great, and I you know because Michael sort of you know readings and the sound design always really work really well with that because they're not dramas they are red stories i think they, the readers they picked have been really good and on previous releases as well jacob dubman who's done a couple previously who's really good but uh they yeah they, they the readers perform it as much as any other readings i think which helps yeah it really gets uh gets a lot of the information gets the story and the feel and the color of it across when people are performing it rather than just reading because sometimes you hear an audiobook and it's there's not much it's just a, it's someone reading a book basically and not much characterization but um i think with the uh, bbc audios they're always pushing it a bit further than they mean you know or just putting it as far as they can yeah and making it as good as it, good as they can yeah i think the fact that there's as you say there's <laughs> so much characterization put in particularly with what Suze does with Ian and Barbara and then later on with, with Peter Capaldi getting the essence of that Scottish grumpiness in there and I think you know, they are they're definitely they're, they almost feel like they're enhanced readings rather than not even readings enhanced performances rather than a reading yeah. yes yeah no I think that's what, what makes them work I think because we all know we all know what the doctor sounds like but if it, yeah I think it they need they need that and especially because it's because it's audio as well i think audio is i know it's best to say that i know friends that read audio so audiobooks they read them to go to sleep <laughs> you know 
which is fair enough, you know. But uh, I think in order not to make people go to sleep, they need that sort of extra bit of pizzazz to make them stand out. So yeah, yeah, they definitely lift it off. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. That I'm happy to have been involved in these people the last ten years or so, and I think it's re- they're really great. Sort of these sort of short. 10,000 word stories usually, which are 10,000 words, that's kind of the length of how long script is as well. So they kind of fit the format of Doctor Who. So yeah. Built up, really. I, I always love doing them. Well, long may it continue, Darren. So thank you so okay. much for taking the time to chat with us about Four for Doomsday. Four from Doomsday. Four from Doomsday. Four Doomsday. You're welcome. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks to all of this week's guests. I've been a joy chatting with them about this one. Doomsday, multimedia platform release, so many different strands. So yes, if you're interested, go out, give them a go, because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. If you're interested, you can keep following us on Twitter. We're at Power of Three Pod. We've got a Facebook group, which is up and running again. And we'll be back next week with another episode when I will be joined by a co-conspirator. Well, that's been me here for quite a while on my own, but maybe I should just get some company, so let's have a quick look at the Power of Three time scoop and see who I can find on it. Oh, who's this coming through? Oh, sorry, yes, Taylor and Charlie. Hello, everyone. Make sure you're listening to their two podcasts. Kenny's going to be on again in a few weeks. Don't tell him <laughs> I said that. Hello, Kenny. Yes, what, do, you, do you need me to do something right now? Yeah, well, it's good to see you, you've time scooped me up out of my, my busy day of lying about reading comic books and scratching my bum <laughs> yeah I think it, it did seem right I think um, I thought I, I was feeling a bit lonesome here so I'm glad that you're here now uh, yeah so you know that's an unusual word to use is that going to be do you know listeners I entered the competition Doctor Who magazine to win the, the Doomsday um, book that they were running you know the one with Trout and Eccleson on the cover mm-hmm. I've not heard yet if I've won it or not won it so keep your fingers crossed that one turns up my doorstep you never know it might happen Anyway, what you, you need you you've 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 scooped me up here in this little weird time triangle yes. to ask you what song we're playing out with today, haven't you? I have, Dave. Right, Kenny, what song are we playing out with today? Well, Dave, we're playing out with Aura. That's A U hyphen Ra, as in the sun god, and her song Assassin. Oh, okay, that works. Okay, right. Cheers, folks. See you soon. Thanks for coming up there, Dave. I'll Pleasure. Turn you back to your time stream. Bye. And, bye. And uh, yes. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Theories, I know you got your theories. I know you got this feeling. Everyone's out to get you. Faces, enemies always faces. Somehow you're always blameless. But that don't make you bulletproof. Pretending you don't know why it ended. You think.
think the fault is all mine Mirror, you never checked the mirror Or you would've seen the killer Staring right back with 